we are in this study that we have been doing for these last few weeks of looking at perspectives. You know, our world today seems to want to give us expert advice on everything, how to live, how to view ourselves, but often it runs counter to what the Bible tells us. And so what we've been trying to do is what does the Bible tell us about self? And we looked at that two weeks ago, the fact that everybody is made with value. Everybody is made with worth. We were made in the image of our God. We were made for the purpose of reflecting his character. The problem is though that we rebelled against God. Our relationship was with, with him was broken. And therefore, that affects our identity. But Jesus came to bring healing to our soul, to bring forgiveness so that we could now have a relationship with him again. We could now again find that identity for which we were made and reflecting the very image of our God. Last week we looked at relationships and primarily the relationship of marriage, that that peace that God gave us that most reflects his character of the Trinity. Where a man and a woman come together in the relationship with God in almost this little sub-trinity and we walk in that unity and that oneness that God designed in marriage. Today, we want to talk about family. Family. You know, family is that wonderful piece. I mean, we're experiencing it now. My sister, uh, her family's moved up to uh, the Denver area. She flew in yesterday. Huge piece because she's there with my, my, with my folks. And, you know, we're going to be getting together for lunch this afternoon. And family is great. And family is, is like one of the biggest blessings in the world, right? And then family can also be like one of the biggest curse, right? <laughs> and, and create all the conflict. And sometimes it's like the same person. You just depends which day. I, I remember hearing somebody that said once that every family, every family has crazy in it or dysfunction in it. And if for some reason you think your family is different, you're it right? You are the crazy, all right? And so when we think about family, we think about kids, we think about, uh, we think about extended family, we think about parents and, and all of this. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to try to delve into this, but here's the thing. And I realize we're going to cover a lot of ground today. It, it's both the blessing and the curse of doing these series is I've got like 32 minutes to cover a whole lot of what the Bible says. But if you get one thing, this is the thing I want you to get today. Because if you don't get the sense and the, the reality that God has set priorities. So, okay, we have all these relationships, but God has put a pecking order in these relationships. And if you don't get the pecking order right, the relationships are not going to be good. And when you look at the pecking order that God has given to the relationships of our life, the first one is God and you. That has to be number one, right? You know, someone has said God doesn't play second fiddle. In fact, when God put his top 10 things that we need to know, also known as the Ten Commandments, you remember what number one is? You will have no other God before me. That's number one. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? 
It's that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. We're going to be in the first part of Genesis, so it's kind of where we've been, because I like to go back to creation and kind of see this. But you see this in verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God made us to know him, to reflect him. You skip over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We were created to know him, to have relationship with him. We were created. Our identity is in reflecting who he is. And folks, if you don't make this the number one priority of your life, I'm telling you, your other relationships are not going to be healthy. It starts here. The problem is, is that this relationship is only healed, it's only fixed, it's only right if you know Jesus. Because again, we were created to know him, we were created to have relationship with him, we were created to reflect his image, but we rebelled. We walked away. We sinned. Our relationship with God was broken. And everything we try to do to fix it falls short because God's perfect so that's why Jesus came. Jesus came as God's holy, precious, perfect son. He died in our place so we could be forgiven, so we could be made right with God again. And so all of our healing, all of getting this right in our life starts with coming to know Jesus. I love how John puts it, Jesus' best friend. He wrote these words, but as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. Man, it is a knowing Jesus. It's coming to that point where we receive him as our savior. We put our faith and our trust in him. That's where it begins. And if you've not done that, maybe you're sitting here today and man, you just got, you got some painful relationships going on in your life. Can I just say that the, the way if you want ultimate healing in those, it starts with coming to know Jesus. Invite him into your life. Ask him to forgive you, to be your savior. That's where it begins. So that's got to be number one. Number two, then, is the husband and wife. And we see that here in Genesis 2. We looked at this last week. Verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, you got to think about the culture. You know, context is king when it comes to understanding the Bible. And today our culture is different. Today it's not that big of a thing to leave your father and your mother. But what you've got to understand, the context out of which this was written by Moses is sons did not leave their families. You know, when you grew up in a family, whatever your dad did is what you did. You know, so if your dad was a shepherd, that's what you did. And you were raised to kind of take over the family business, by the way, support your folk in their old age. That's how it worked. In fact, the idea is, is a wife would leave her parents. So like when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Rebecca, she left her parents and came to Isaac, who stayed with Abraham. That was the culture. And so when Moses announces that marriage is about the fact that a man leaves his father and mother, that was revolutionary. 
And then that he is joined to his wife. They become one. That relationship, the husband-wife relationship, becomes more important than the parent-child relationship. Man, that that was earth-shattering. And that's God's pecking order. Number one, it is your relationship with the Lord. Number two now, it is your relationship with your spouse. That has got to be. Now, what's interesting in our culture, it's not such a big thing to leave mom and dad. In fact, it's usually a great day, right? We get to, we get, to get out, right, and leave mom and dad. I'll tell you where our culture, and we're going to get back to this a little bit later, but I think where our culture matches this up is the relationship that it wants to put ahead this one is parent to child, that we put so much emphasis in, in, in our kids that we neglect this, folks. If you get this one wrong, you're going to hurt your kids. The greatest thing that you can do for your children is to love your spouse. Because in that, there is a security that God designed in the heart of a child. So that's number two. Relationship number three, Genesis chapter four. This is where kids come. This is, this is the parent-child relationship to raise them up, to train them, to invest. We're gonna talk about this in more detail in just a moment. But that is now where this relationship comes. So now as a husband and wife, we become one. Out of that oneness produces children. Now to raise them, to know and to love Jesus and to follow after the Lord and to prepare them, not to be great kids, but to prepare them to be great adults begins to happen. Then the fourth in this pecking order is extended family. You say, well, is there responsibility there? I think so. I I, I think not only do you see that in the culture around the Bible, you see that with Jesus. You know, Jesus there... And one of the interesting questions about Jesus, because he is the son of God, we see him when he's born, we see him when he's 12, and then we don't see him again until he's 30. And the question is, why? And we're not given a definitive answer, so I can't speak this as truth, but I think one of the things is, is that he is the firstborn, right? Because she was a virgin. We don't read about Joseph after Jesus was 12. So I think the implication is Joseph probably dies. As the firstborn son, he now has responsibility to to support his mother to help raise up the other siblings. And it's not until he's 30 that he has brothers that are able to do that, passes that off, now goes and does his thing. Oh, by the way... He does his thing, which is also take care of his mother. Remember him on the cross? Uh, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. There is responsibility there. We see it in in Timothy when he's talking to uh, about widows. And it's like, hey, if, if they've got children, if they've got grandchildren, family, there's responsibility there. So those are the pecking order. Number one, you and God. Number two, you and your spouse. Number three, then it's you and your kids. And then it becomes the extended family. So let's talk about the kids por- portion of this. First thing, I want to remind you this morning, because some of you need to be reminded that kids are an incredible blessing, right? Now, those of us who are my age, who are grandparents, we all say, amen, right? We know it. They're wonderful. They're so cute. Oh man, they can't do anything wrong. Those of you that are the parents of them go, oh, not so quick there, right? 
because you're the ones that aren't getting the full night of sleep. You're, it's so fun because our, our, our littlest grandchild is, I mean, she is hitting the twos a couple months early, right? And oh, she, and she's so stinking cute. But she is, uh, she is aggressive. And we're getting to that stage, you know, when she gets quiet, that's when you get nervous. Because you think, where is she? What has she gotten into? And it's just constant. It's full time. We watched them the other day. We were exhausted. 24 hours it took us. In fact, Tammy's still recovering. I mean, it's just, it, it, because she did more than I did. That's why. Uh, but I mean, it just, it takes a lot of energy. And you're in the middle of it. I want to remind you today, children are a blessing. They're a blessing. And what us who are the older know, enjoy even those moments because you think they're lasting forever, but they will be gone in a heartbeat. Children are a blessing of the Lord. They're part of his provision. And the cool thing is this, though. Because they're a gift from God, don't worship the gift. You worship the giver. You know, this is, the, this is the piece in our culture that, that we've got wrong and we're raising a bunch of narcissistic children because so many are being raised as though they are the end-all, be-all, that they've really become the God in the life of their parent. Everything is about the kids. And we are going to, first of all, we are going to spend ourselves into debt Hades giving them experiences that we cannot afford to give them. And the stress that that puts on the marriage and what that stress that that brings in a home and it makes no sense. But, you know, it's like if our kid doesn't seem, see Disneyland once a year, then somehow they're deprived. Or if our kids can't, you know, excel in sports when, oh, by the way, you know, they're not going to excel in sports. I mean, how many actually make it to the big leagues? Let's be honest about that. But we got to give them every opportunity, every opportunity. And the coach, are, oh, you know, if they just had that next. We're running here and there. And mom and dad are like ships passing in the night because of we're trying. Because to be honest with you, we're sacrificing our future. We're sacrificing our relationship on the altar of our children. And it is unhealthy. We're called to parent them which is to train them, to raise them, to make good decisions for them and to help bring those sense of balance into their life. But make sure. Now, here's the other thing, too. You know, because some of us are past that piece of having the children. Some can't have children. Some have chosen not to. But the great thing is if you don't have kids, you get the chance to invest in them. You know, Jesus, Jesus wasn't married. Jesus didn't have children, but Jesus loved the children, Right? He was always saying, let the kids come to me. Remember when he fed the 5,000, talks about 5,000 men plus the women and children. Jesus cared about the kids. One of the great things about our church community is that you can invest in kids. You can, you can teach them. You can train them. It's so much fun. You know, on every Sunday when Peter and Leonor come over and we get to talk to them about the Sunday school lesson that they're getting here. And what they're learning about Jesus and man, they're, they're so excited to tell us and because some of you are investing and talking and, and that's such a big, cool piece. But as parents, we have responsibility. 
responsibility number one is to provide, to provide for the financial, the physical needs. You know, uh, Peter, Timothy, and again, this is in the context of widows, but he says, listen, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he's denied the faith, it's worse than an unbeliever. Now, we're to provide, but what are we to provide? The needs, not the necessarily the wants, you know, our, our, our society is all about the wants, but it's not that. It's the needs. What's that? Well, food and, and shelter and, you know, the safety, the nurturing environment of a home. Th- those are what we have to provide. We, Disneyland is not in that. Even in the Greek, I looked it up. Or, you know, to be on every swim team that's out there or soccer team, it's not there. So to provide, but we also are the teacher to train. We have that responsibility. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. I'm going to get there in just a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 6. To me, it's an important passage for every parent to understand. But there are certain things that you and I, who are parents, have the responsibility to be able to teach and to train our kids about. The first one, though, that I want to mention is not found in Deuteronomy. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll just quote it to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. The first responsibility that I had as a parent to teach my kids was to obey me. Why? Because I'm all, you know, I'm all that? Because somehow I need that kind of affirmation? No, because God knows rebellion is in our hearts, right? That's we've rebelled against him. And if you and I will not teach our children to obey and to honor us, guess what? Because we're that first authority that they understand in their life. God knows if they don't learn authority, they don't learn to obey, they don't learn to honor, then they're not going to obey him. They're not going to honor his authority in their life. Oh, by the way, they're not going to honor the authority in the rest of the world. And that means that life isn't going to go real well for them. Do you kind of think that maybe, possibly, just maybe we see this playing out in our culture today? Our culture where we have not taught our children to obey their parents, to honor. Culture that does not respect or honor authority. Wants it all to go their way. Number one, we've got to teach them to obey. And trust me, if you do not teach them to obey you, they're not going to obey the Lord. Then when you come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's pick it up here. Uh, Let's start reading in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, you will eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself 
that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. This is what he told them. You've got to pass this on. The first thing we see in verse 4 is you got to teach them about God. Hero Israel, Lord our God is one. you got to teach them about the character of God. That our God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of love. He is a God of truth. You, that is your responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. Can the church supplement that? Absolutely. Can you bring others to help? Yes, and I think it's important to do because kids need to hear from multiple pieces. But ultimately, it is on you to teach your kids about God. Secondly, to teach them to love God. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. You see, somebody has said Christianity is more caught than taught. It, it sometimes to me is even a little counterintuitive that I stand here and I espouse scripture. You, we do learn that way. But we learn better when we watch somebody live it out. And your kids are going to learn more by what you do than by what you say, by the way you love God, by the way you keep him as that number one priority in your life. We got to teach them to love the Lord. Verse 6 tells us that we got to teach them the word of God. Notice what he says here. He says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Man, we got to teach, we got to get kids to memorize. I love Pastor Dan and the ministry that he has here in our, our, with our children because one of the things he puts a lot of emphasis on is getting kids to learn scripture. And it's so great because Peter is one who, he, you know, he, he's our little box checker, right? And, and so, man, he likes to get all of those verses memorized, get his books done, and he loves that, that piece of it. And to hear him quote scripture is just, I've shared this with you before, but one of the things that Tammy was so good at was teaching our kids scripture and getting them to memorize verses. And, and uh, they, they learned a lot of scripture growing up. But I'll never forget when Kylie, my youngest, my only daughter, uh, hit junior high. If you had a junior higher in your home recently, especially a junior high girl, I can sum it up in one word, drama, <laughs> drama. It's always drama. And the drama of today is way different than the drama of yesterday. You know, you're trying to string together this, nah, forget the strings. It's just, what is the drama of today? And I never forget at one point she was, you know, and this friend didn't like this friend and she's trying to get in. And, and I said, Kylie, I said, I'm going to give you five bucks if you will memorize this scripture. It's found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. It says this, like one who grabs a dog by the ears. I said, have you ever grabbed a dog by the ears? No. I said, what do you think will happen? They'll bite you. It's a bingo. You're following it. Like one who grabs a dog by the ears is he who passing by meddles in the strife of another. I said, what do you think that means? I shouldn't get involved. I said, bingo, you memorize that, I give you five bucks, right? So she worked on the best five bucks I ever spent <laughs> because the next time drama, I said, well, are you grabbing the dog by the ears? Ah, he clicked. Man, we got to teach him scripture. 
teaching the word of God because it gives wisdom to their life. Then you see verse 7, teach them by living on mission. You should teach them diligently. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Man, when, as they watch you live on mission, as they watch you walk with Jesus, as they watch you passionately following Christ, that's what they're going to learn. And I love verses 10 to 14. And that is you got to teach them the truth about this world. You see, the world wants it, them to think that the world is all that. And when you think about them, God's going to take them into this land. They're going to conquer it, and they are going to be left vineyards they didn't plant. I don't know if you've ever tried to plant a vineyard. It's a lot of work. You've got you to pull out all the rocks. You've got to get the soil ready. You've got to plant. Then you've got to wait. They're going to walk into already planted and harvesting vineyards. You're going to have cisterns. Cisterns are holes in a rock to catch water that you did not have to dig. There's going to be food in the shells that you didn't even put there. The problem is you're going to understand, because you've been out here in the wilderness, that God has provided that. But your kids aren't going to understand that. You've got to tell them. And I think about our culture. We live in America. We're the most blessed people that have ever lived. And yet we know it's because as a nation we were founded on Christian principles. We have honored God. God has blessed us. We know that in our family, our family, because we followed after the Lord, God has blessed us. You know, we, we don't have a lot of turmoil and struggle in our home. And, and if your kids just think, hey, that's just life, you just do it however, and this is how it is, they're going to miss it. You've got to tell them. No, you know, we're blessed because we followed Jesus. We're blessed as a nation because we followed after the Lord. You do it God's way. You can look at the rest of this culture and see. You can see the mess that it's making. You've got to teach them the truth about this world. You've got to teach them the truth about our two-world view. And I've got to move on because I'm really out of time. Let me talk about extended family because that's typically where you find the crazy. And one of the most important pieces of understanding what the Bible would tell us about dealing with extended family is that you've got to set healthy boundaries. And one of the biggest pieces about understanding boundaries is the boundaries are for you. They're not against people. You know, whenever you set boundaries with somebody who doesn't understand boundaries, you're going to think you're against them. Uh, people without boundaries don't like them because they're, they like their dysfunction. And so the moment you start setting them, but it's not about being against them. It's about you. It's, it, it's taking Proverbs 22, and I, I wish I had more time. Proverbs 22 speaks a lot about this. Let me give you a couple. The prudent man sees evil and hides himself from it. So if there's this real dysfunctional person in your home, and, and you protect, you set up boundaries. But the naive go on and are punished for it. In verse 10, it says, drive out the scoffer and contention will go away. You got that person in, in your family that, that likes to come around, but man, it's always a boiling cesspool of drama in their life. Set up boundaries so you don't have to be a part of that. Later on in the same chapter, it says, do not associate with a man given to anger with a hot-tempered man or you're going to learn his ways. Set up boundaries. Boundaries are important. And again, they're not unkind. They, they, it's just it's about you doing what God asks you to do. The best boundary that you can set up is you've got to remember your business is your business. When you start letting family meddle into your business, you're going to just have all kinds of dysfunction. Because here's the thing, blood is thicker than water. 
So you and your spouse are having a little issue and you're trying to work it out. You go to your family and you, you know, in your frustration, you, you kind of paint the picture as you see it. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to think your spouse is a louse. Oh, you know, why, why would they do that? They just don't understand. You're such a great person. Makes you feel good. Well, you and your spouse work it out. You go on down the thing. Guess what? They're still thinking your spouse is a louse. I mean, I remember, so, so my wife is a twin. And I mean a identical twin. And like a twin twin. Like when she's on the phone with Terry, just go do whatever else you were going to do, right? Okay. Because th they love to talk. And here was my fear. My fear is we get into our marriage and the reality is I can be a jerk, okay? I'm just being honest. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't try to be a jerk. I try to be a good husband. I just by nature sometimes am a jerk. And the last thing I need to do is for Tammy to tell Terry what a jerk I am. What I need Tammy to do is to tell me what a jerk I am, all right? Because then I can work on it. Then we can come to resolution. By the way, she's gotten really good at that over the 30 years. But your business has got to be your business. Well, what about, you, you talk about, okay, go and get counseling. Well, yeah, wouldn't well, the two of you? Go together. You go to a third party, not to a family member. Powerful. Or if your spouse won't go and there's an issue, but you're going, you're going to a third party. It's not somebody who's going to take your side because of relationship or that whenever it gets worked out, it's going to you know, still be in relationship with your spouse. Keep your business your business. Understand that no is both loving and empowering. No. No, you can't go there. No, we can't go on that vacation. You know, here, here's a big thing. You, you know, we're, we're extended family now. I am an in-law, right? We're, we're trying to do this well. We like to take vacations together. But the family shows up. We want to go and do this. And the reality is you, you're trying to get out of debt. You're trying to save for something and you can't afford it. But they put pressure, you know. Y your mother-in-law or your mom becomes that travel agent for guilt trips, you know. And, and you've got to go. Your kid's an experience. No is a complete sentence, as Dave Ramsey likes to say. No is both loving because I am protecting my family and it doesn't fit with our, our values and it's empowering. We just can't. No to your children is a very powerful word that they need to learn. No to people that want to pull you into their, their mess. No to people that, and that kind of ties into the next one, that wants you to enable you know, I think in extended family, the thing that you see is that we need to be willing to help. We need to be loving, but not an enabler. Jesus was not an enabler. Oh, you know, our culture, oh, you know, he was just accepting. No, no, hey, you, you, want, you want water? Good. Go call your husband. <laughs> well, I'm not married. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're married five times. The one you're with now is not your husband. Jesus wasn't an enabler to the woman who was caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. To the man who had been lame for 38 years, go and sin no more so something worse doesn't happen. Jesus didn't just wink. And what's sad is that enablers are the nicest people in the world. They're just kind. They're trying to do the right thing. But when you let people get away with bad behavior, you are not loving them. If you've got a family member 
who's into drugs and alcohol, and because of that, they got financial problems. If you keep giving them money, you're not helping them. You're hurting them. That's got to be a boundary. You've got to understand, I I, I can help, but I can't enable. And if someone is not going to change from their bad behavior, you can't enable that. That is not loving. It's not kind. I learned this the hard way. I've shared it with you before. But don't ever borrow money from family or lend money to family. Why? Because the Bible says that the uh, borrower is slave to the lender. It changes the relationship. So we had family member that, you know, years ago came to us. uh, They got themselves in, in a pickle financially and they just wanted to borrow money. And we had it and we, we lent it to them. It was one of the biggest mistakes we made. We should have just given it to them. Should have. Because think about this. You have that person in your life who is bad with money. Let's keep that again. Bad with money. Hence, they need you to loan them money. Because they're bad with money, how do we think that they're ever actually going to pay us back? Right? They're not. And so now, they don't want to be around. Why? Because they owe you money. Or you owe them money. It changes the relationship. And I can remember a couple years in is where just these people are starting to duck us, their family. We finally just went to them and said, listen, forget it. It was not a loan. It was a gift. Just take it. We don't want it back. But, you know, we had given it under the aspects of a loan. And it took, took nearly two decades to get that relationship healed up. Just don't do it. It's a great, great boundary. You want to give it? Great, but don't loan it. Lastly, remember that one of God's best blessings in this life can be extended family. You know, it's, uh, we're walking this through with, with my dad and, um, you know, to have my sister come in, to have family around, you know, we were sitting in the hospital room this week and Rick's there and my sister Lori's there and it's just you know family can be great and you all know my I, I've shared so much about my dad you know he and I have been best friends since you know I was can remember and then uh <laughs> it's not a family business but I did follow in the in the in the thing right and so he he was my mentor as a pastor and I got to work for him and you know, then he came here and worked for me. I always told him that seemed to work better, you know, when he worked for me than when I worked for him. But my coach and, you know, just that one who, who understood and, yeah, you try to think, okay, what life's going to be without that, man? It's, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be hard. But there's such value. What I've enjoyed is I've seen him as a dad, and then I saw him as a grandfather, and now as a great-grandfather. And I see him having taken, especially these last two years of, you know, his, his illness and knowing that his time was short of speaking truth, speaking about living for Jesus, speaking about Jesus into the lives of his grandkids. And, you know, man... And, and here's the thing, you may not have those, that extended family as natural blood. You know, you may be the one who's gotten saved, and so you're changing your family because of that. But the great thing is, is in the community of the church, you can find those people. 
you can find those people who, who love Jesus, who can speak into your kids' lives, who can speak into your life, uh, who, who can, can be those folk. It's a wonderful thing. It's a, you know, God, God wants, he talks there about, you know, there in Deuteronomy about you and then your, your kids and your grandkids and this generational part of, of having it and it being healthy. But it starts with health when you get the priorities right. Number one, me and God. Number two, me and my spouse. Number three, me and my kids. Number four, now we get to extended family. Setting those right boundaries. And of course, all of that starts with knowing Jesus.